Hey, welcome to Settle the Far. This is Corey Garvey, and this is the podcast where I talk with people who have moved into a new career, moved to a brand new location, or found themselves in a new community, and the way they went about making this decision. Uh, I want to learn about the struggles that happened along this move, and sort of once they got into that new place, what has life been like? What have they learned? What have some of the difficulties been? And how have they found themselves growing through this large life change that they made? Uh, This podcast is inspired by a lot of things. I first started a newsletter about three years ago where I would send out my own thoughts on life to a number of friends and that was well received. Um, I put a lot of time into that and I felt like there was space to really open it up to other people I'd met. I know that when I talk to people about my own decision to move to different locations or go into a different career, uh, I'm always met with a lot of questions and curiosity about how I've been able to do this or that. And oftentimes there's people that I've met along the way that I'm asking those same questions to. So I wanted wanted to go back. I wanted to see what have other people thought as they've either moved to a different country or um, did something totally unexpected that most of us would find extremely daunting and go back and sort of go over those things with them. Beyond that, there's a lot of questions that I had that I haven't really had a, a purpose for bringing up with people, and maybe this was my excuse to, to start asking people those questions and learning a little bit more for myself. Um, I'm also super inspired by other people that have podcasts and content that I've followed really deeply for the last 10 or so years. That list includes, and probably at the top, is Tim Ferriss, uh, but then also Matt Diavella, Joe Rogan, Cortland Allen, who started the Indie Hackers website and podcast. And these are people who, just by listening to their podcasts and seeing their ability to start something on their own, I've really been pushed to not wait for the opportunity, but to put it together myself. It's it's phenomenal these days how many tools and resources are at our, our disposal to create a website or create a podcast. You can watch YouTube videos about how people have done this. A, a number of those names that I mentioned, Tim Ferriss, Matt Diavella, they go through their process for how they did this. And for me, it's been a long road, but it's, it's been fairly painless figuring out exactly how to bring these pieces together. And, um, for anyone who's, you know, been on YouTube trying to figure out how to cook something or how to put together a, um, do some gardening or something like that, you know how easy it is just to find these awesome resources. As I said, I've been doing this for a little while now. So for the last year and a half or so, I've been thinking about this and working on it. Started with calling up a few friends, seeing if they would be open to me interviewing them. As you'll see, some of these interviews have uh, are have happened over a year ago, so hopefully they're not too dated. I think most of the content is pretty ephemeral, and um, the conversations we talk about are really about the, the moves that they'd made. So hopefully at some point I'll get to updates, but this is something I've really been been excited about. And as for me, I have followed quite a, I would say, unique path myself, as everyone has. I grew up in New York and went to college and then came back to New York. I was living in New York for almost two years after college before I left my job in finance. I moved to San Francisco, worked in tech, was there for about four and a half years, and then moved to where I live now, which is London. I still work in tech, 
I've been here for three and a half years, and I now call this home. So it's been a big change. I find myself, you know, working with a lot of international, mostly European people. Um, I have tons of family and friends that still live in the New York area. California probably still holds my heart in a lot of ways. It's uh, the outdoors are so beautiful out there, and the personality in San Francisco really fits me. But for a lot of reasons, London is is the best place for me. And I think making each of these choices to move to different places at different times in my life have been very personal decisions. And I hope this podcast can be a way for people to understand no matter what decision they're thinking of making and what personal reasons they have for making those changes, that there's ways to think through this and to um, to really find others who have been in similar spots and decided to make those same leaps or whatever it is. And I think that's a key point. It's, you know, it's, it's very individual. And at times there have been decisions I've made that maybe it seems like should have been easier because other people have so easily been able to make that change, whether it's moving to California from New York or um, finding myself wanting to work in one career or another. And for other people, it was so simple. But over time, I've realized just how individual all of this is. And as you'll see with a lot of people I talk to, some have come upon that realization more easily than others. And you know, no matter what it is, whether it's simply moving to a different town or, um, you know, not even changing careers, but just changing jobs, it, there's no reason to be ashamed that it seems like a smaller change than maybe someone else makes when they decide to, to go from, you know, New York all the way to Sydney or something like that. Um, everyone has their own, their own challenges and is moving through it at their own pace. So I think that comes across in, in a lot of these conversations. In this first episode, I want to talk about what I think is the most important decision I ever made, and that was one that came during college and really set me up for a lot of these larger choices that happened later on in my life. So I grew up on Long Island in a town where a large number of people commute to New York City every day, go to jobs in all different jobs, but certainly Wall Street holds the the attention of many people in the town. I myself grew up thinking I would originally be a lawyer. My grandfather was a lawyer, and I was uh, definitely asked a lot of questions as a little kid and had no problem arguing with people. But once it became, once I got a little bit older and I realized that you had to read a ton of books to become a lawyer, I sort of fell in line and wanted to, to get into Wall Street myself. I had heard from a lot of people that being an athlete, being competitive, um, that those are the traits that worked, that, that kind of fit very well within Wall Street. Uh, I, I was good at math, so that was going to help. And sort of realized that the connections I had through family and through friends from my hometown was going to help me get a job. And then beyond all of that, there's so much money to make in Wall Street. And as a kid, as a 15, 17-year-old, this seemed like the only thing to be really optimizing for. And And... I've realized over time how much I was shaped by sort of the, the view I had of the world and the careers that were possible. Um, and I think, you know, this, this is bound to happen with anybody, whether you're growing up on a farm or in the middle of Silicon Valley, the, the careers that you're around seem like the most likely place that you should be sort of working in. So 
for me, that was sort of Wall Street. And as I got to college at MIT, I immediately entered into the business major. I saw the four years ahead of me as really a, a chance to meet people, to have great social experience in college, um, go through the business major, which is looked at by many people in the school as sort of the easiest major, and yet be able to come out with an MIT degree, be respected by people for my academics, and get a great job on Wall Street, hopefully. And it wasn't until about a year and a half into school when I had taken two semesters of business classes that I started looking at my my path and, and the four years I would be in college and was just a bit disappointed with how much effort I was really putting in. Um, going to MIT, you get tons of people coming up to you, telling you how much you're, you're working, how, how smart they think you are. And for me, I realized I was putting so much effort and so much attention on my social life and felt like I had to make up for the fact that maybe MIT is expected to not have a, a fun party scene or anything like that. And I was able to sort of do the minimal amount of work I needed to and still get B's and, and get through with what I felt would be an acceptable GPA to get the job that I wanted on Wall Street. And it was just disappointing. At some point, um, getting ready for that second semester of my sophomore year, I, I was just disappointed with sort of the effort I was putting in. And I'll always remember there was a communications class I took in the business major my sophomore year and we had an assignment that was some cover letter that we had to write and the teacher wanted us to email them all to her as attachments and I remember getting into class right after this assignment was due and she pointed out two or three students in the 30 person class that would be getting bonus points on their exam and I just couldn't believe that we were at this point where people would be getting bonus points on on anything at MIT it felt like you know this is such an expensive school. We put in so much effort on all the things we do, and there's going to be bonus points given out for something. You know, curious to hear what it was. And it was that they had named their attachments with their name rather than just cover letter. And for the teacher, it was a lot easier for her to be able to organize them. And the, the ironic part of this is this is something I remember all the time now when I create my own files and attach them to an email or something. But it just crossed the line for me with what I felt was a reasonable way to earn points inside a college course. Um, I, I felt like while I was spending this time and putting this effort into school, I should be getting more out of it than just you know, some tips and tricks for, for how to impress your boss when you get to the workplace. And it, along with how I felt I was, I was sort of personally committing to my work, I made the decision that I wanted to move over to mechanical engineering. And again, this gets back to what my own um, personal expectations were. You know, I had a lot of friends who, and, and I knew a lot of people who had come into school and immediately went into engineering or uh, some sort of science, biology, physics, something like that. But for me, that was never really something I was even entertaining. You know, to be honest, when I got to MIT, I didn't really have too much of a clue of what an engineer would be learning, what they would be doing for a job. I was looking at the business major and finance as my way to sort of find my way through MIT, leave with the degree, and get the job that I wanted. And at this point, when I when I got through a year and a half, I 
I sort of started to cherish the opportunity that I had, that I was at MIT, one of the best engineering schools in the world, certainly a, a school that is known for science and for engineering. And I was going to be studying math or math business and, and not using sort of the math and the science that, um, that it's so well known for. And I had a chance to change that around. Um, and this was really the last, it felt like the last chance. It was actually the night before I had to sign up for classes. I had talked to some friends about who had, who had already done the major and, and I felt were similar to me. And I made the choice. I was like, you know, why not? I, if I don't push myself into this in a position of, um, of sort of soberness, of looking at where I want to be, what path I want to lead, I'm never going to to make it happen because I'm I'm sure as hell not going to just go into a business class where the coursework maybe is not very difficult and push to the front of the class. I'm I'm much better off putting myself in a very difficult situation and still finding myself sort of in the middle of the class and getting more out of myself. And so that that next day I, I went into my um, advisor's office and I told him I was going to be dropping him as an advisor because he was a, a business school guy and I was going to be moving over to engineering. And, you know, I think a few things really helped me to succeed in doing this. The first thing was that I really made sure that I isolated my life on this single change. I had kept most of the rest of my life, the friends I had, my living space, um, I continued to play sports, exactly the same. I didn't want to sort of cloud my thinking and cloud my, my focus on these courses with a bunch of other things that were going to change in my life. And particularly, I, I made sure that, or at least I, I thought at the time that I wanted to keep my future career prospects the same. I still wanted to go into Wall Street. I still wanted to work as a trader and use these strategic skills and, and competitiveness for my advantage. I had friends who had gone through mechanical engineering and gone into Wall Street, so I was confident that I could do this and even that it would it would help me when looking for jobs. And I didn't have to explain to other people very much. I didn't have to say to my friends from home that I was going to change everything around, that I wanted to have a whole new type of lifestyle. I didn't have to tell my friends that I was in the business major with that I you know, had a problem with their career choice and where they wanted to go. I sort of just said, you know, I'm at this engineering school and I want to learn engineering while I'm here. And this seems like the best of both worlds. I can do this and then eventually get out and go into the business world. And for me, that was so crucial. It allowed me not to take on too much sort of internally. And I get, you know, like I'm sure many people, I get anxious about having to explain myself to friends, explain myself to the world. And in this way, I didn't have to do too much of that. Um, I asked myself at that point, so what is this? What is this change in my life? I knew it was going to force me to change the classes that I take, maybe who I was in the classes with. But I could still, you know, the the fifty years after school that I'm working, I could still see myself doing the same stuff. So it wasn't such a big leap as it may seem looking back on it, um, and that I knew I could just figure out a lot of the other stuff later. But with all of that, with the, the isolation of that, there were still huge, huge changes that had to be made. I put myself in a spot of having to work a lot harder. Um, for the first year and a half that I was at, at college, I, 
I wasn't totally committed. And even if we go back to high school, the, the second semester of, of high senior year of high school, I probably wasn't as committed as I should have been. So in that way, I had to make up for a lot of lost time just in terms of learning and attention and, you know, math that I simply didn't really apply myself as well as I could have in those first two years. Um, and this really was, a, you know, obviously a huge learning point. I, I realized I had to do a lot of hard work. Um, I, I was able to see what my pain tolerance was mentally, you know, the ability to finish with football or, or lacrosse where if you tell me I have to run a mile and then I, I run it as fast as I can and you tell me I have to run another, I'm willing to do that. And I'm almost proud of myself in being able to do that. But if you give me, you know, four hours worth of work and then at the end tell me that, okay, you have another four, that's a whole different battle. And especially when you get graded and told, hey, you're not doing it right or this is poorly done or you walk into a test and it seems like nothing on the test has to do with the work you've just done for homework. So this was this was a, a huge learning moment for me, um, something that that definitely changed in moving away from the business major where I had a good sense of what was going on and I felt more in touch with some of the content right away because it was things I'd heard about from older siblings or friends and things like that that were studying business elsewhere. Something else that was huge was it changed the order in which I was taking these classes. I had taken a bunch of electives in the first year and a half at school and now I was going to have to go back and start taking mandatory classes for the engineering course as a sophomore and found myself sort of a, a year behind. And this meant that I was going to have to sort of cram all of my engineering classes into the next two and a half years, meaning that my second semester senior year was not going to be relaxed. I wasn't going to just chill and then find myself graduating. I was going to have to be taking hard classes all the way through. Um, this is something coming out of it that has been one of the most important things to learn because really in moving into this new major, I, well, while there were a number of difficulties, people gave me a lot of respect for it. Um, most of the time the move was from engineering into the business, business major, but for me going the other way, a lot of people did have respect. And even just personally looking at you know, a diploma that says engineering or telling people that I was a the mechanical engineering major, that felt really good. But at the same time, it feels good because there's a, there's a ton of work to do and there's a lot of hard classes. And I had sort of spent this first year and a half bit on cruise control. And in the words of Ronnie Coleman, who is a eight-time Mr. Olympia bodybuilding champ, um, Everybody wants to be a bodybuilder, but nobody wants to lift no heavy-ass weight. And I realized that if you want to be known as somebody who has gone through something difficult, gone through a difficult major, be proud of that. You have to lift that heavy weight, and you have to go through those tough courses, whether it's the first year of your major or the fourth year. And I was proud of it at the end. It obviously wasn't... a, a a simple thing, but this is something I had to sort of come to grips with in making the change. Finally, another like real difficult thing about moving into this was just how out of place I found myself. I had been in the business major with a lot of close friends. We were several athletes and um, people I had 
a great time and still am, am close friends with and could easily spend time working on problem sets and talking about what tests would come, commiserating over anything that was difficult. And now I was putting myself into a whole different world. Um, these were, one, most of the students I was in classes with were now a year behind me. So I was a year older, people sort of didn't know who I was from the social scene, but more so um, saw me as sort of an out of place older guy who had just entered their classes. And I was going to have to be asking a lot of younger students, friends of mine and others, for help constantly. Um, especially in the way that it worked, I was, I was sort of one semester behind, but then there were people who were one semester ahead from the younger class. So they were kind of the smartest of the younger group. And I was, you know, the one that was a little bit behind and hadn't been working that hard. So I constantly had to be asking questions, asking for help from a younger group of people. And that has been such a crucial um, sort of point for me moving forward in life. I have made several changes, whether it be, you know, going into this mechanical engineering major or moving from Wall Street into tech at 23 years old, which seems young, but when you meet people who have been playing around with computers since they were eight, you realize you have so much to learn. Um, and that if you don't have the ability to ask younger people for help and ask younger people for advice, you find yourself in a place where every year you get older, there's just less people to ask for help from. And right now I find myself in a job where the majority of my colleagues are younger than me. And if I wasn't able to confidently go up to them and ask for help, I'd be, I'd be stuck. I'd be stuck in a place of not being able to grow and being stubborn about where I felt feel that I should be in some sort of hierarchy. But it doesn't really work like that. You know, in, in ways I was asking younger guys, younger girls for help with certain homework or, or test help. But there were so many other things that I had to offer them and that they would come and ask me for, whether it was, you know, how just to navigate school, how certain classes that I'd taken in the business major were, because maybe they wanted to take some electives in that. Um, I find this happening in, in, in my work right now. There's people who I go to for help with engineering problems, but maybe they have questions about traveling or about life or about working in finance that I can really give them advice on. So getting to that point and teaching myself that through being the odd man, being the older guy in class was super beneficial. So just looking at, yeah, some of the lessons that I learned throughout this big change and why I really feel this was like the most important decision that I made, I found myself in this new group of people. Um, and most of all, in that, I, I, I was able to separate myself from what seemed like the typical path that I should be going on. I had this personal feeling that I should go to school, do the business major, be an athlete in the business major. I fit a, a, a bit of a mold. And by moving into something else, I was, I was the odd guy out. And getting comfortable with that has helped me so many times over and over. I learned to really enjoy the work, the struggle, um, feeling like, you know, every one of those late nights when I was doing work or, or studying was putting me closer to earning that distinction of being in whatever major I felt deserve distinction or whatever work I felt was important. Um, but most of all, it was seeing that if I wanted to follow a path and I wanted to independently say, you know, I'm not going to be 
like everybody else. And maybe I, maybe I want to be like everyone else. And previously I've been very different, but I have a path that I want to go down. Um, I have, I know people who easily stepped into mechanical engineering and this was their plan the whole time they were at school, but that wasn't my plan. My plan was to go in and go into wall street and take the easiest road I could in there. But at some point I changed my mind and I was going to do something else. And if I want to do that, that's fine. I can do that. And I can be strong enough to say, you know, I have different plans for myself and whatever the world thinks is normal or typical, I'm going to not really listen to those people because that is just based on what other people have done in the past. And maybe I can set a new, a new trail some way. And I found that this has been true. You know, there have definitely been people who I've been um, inspired by, of course, and, and them doing their own, making their own changes. But I think at times I've been enthused by seeing other people inspired in ways by what I've done. And there's really no no better sort of validation for for some of those big choices. So that's my story about the what I feel is the most important decision I ever made. And now I want to go into what will be a little segment on this podcast, hopefully, something that I'll continue and we'll see how it grows and morphs, that is just about things that I've done lately, things I think are worth talking about, worth mentioning. You know, this is my platform to say whatever. If you think it's uh, not worth your time, feel free to, to fast forward. But I think I think this will be, um, you know, and I'm looking for feedback, so please, please get back to me. Um, but ways that I've found that keep me comfortable in making these large moves and, and just how I look at things. So first thing I want to talk about is specifically around books and a specific book that I just finished reading today and just my relationship um, with books somewhat. So it may come as a surprise to those that know me, know how much I, I sort of mentioned books in conversation these days, that before about 23 years old, when I was in New York City, I hadn't really read any books. I read a couple sports books. I know when I was between maybe 8 and 12, I had read some young adult goosebumps and things like that. But other than Moneyball and The Blind Side, I never really dug into books. Um, I could probably count on one, maybe two hands, how many I'd read before 23. And there was there was a day when, I can't remember the exact moment, but I, I just found myself, I would wake up, I'd go to work at 6, 6.15 on the subway, coming from the Upper East Side down to Madison Square Park. It was about a 15-minute ride, and I would be reading these trashy morning newspapers. They would talk about the Hollywood elite or some unnecessary stupid story from the New York political scene. And day after day, I was wasting these 15 minutes on both sides of my commute reading trash. And I decided, you know, this seems like a good way to start reading books. Um, it was part of this growth that I think you have when you first get into a job that you realize how routine it can become. And that if your routines are garbage, then that's kind of what your life can become. Um, and, and I just felt like this, these, these newspapers were just filling my head with garbage. So I picked up a book, you know, gave it 10, 15 minutes each way in the morning and the afternoon. And that kind of started everything. And that started me in reading a lot. I know I've heard from, from people at times that, um, books can be such great mentors. If you don't 
if you feel like you want to have a mentor, you want to have this person that can guide you along, well, depending on what your question is, there's almost a guarantee that someone's written a book about it. And for anyone who has struggled through reading or found it to be long and arduous, that is a result of there being so much information in those books and so much that you can learn. So I have found this to be totally true. Um, many of the most inspired times of my life have been based on books that I've read. Uh, but I still, I struggle to find the time. I struggle at times because I'm browsing through Reddit or watching some movie on Netflix. And yet every time that I manage to read and sit down and put a half an hour or 45 minutes into reading, it's always so worth it. I, I, I get up, I'm calmer, I'm more relaxed. And after you finish a book, it's just such a rewarding feeling. So um, in time and future episodes, I'll start talking about, I'll talk a little bit about the way I take notes on books. Um, I'm not, I'm not Tim Ferriss. I don't have some crazy formula. I do kind of follow things that he's done. I like to highlight my books uh, on Kindle if I'm using a Kindle, but I find it hard to get notes out of paperback books, although I do prefer reading physical books. But the most, the one I most recently finished is a book given to me by a close friend recently by Haruki Murakami, who is a very famous fiction writer from Japan. And the book is What I Talk About When I Talk About Running. And this is not a book that is fiction, but rather a nonfiction book about his experience over the last, over 25 years of long distance running. And he has run over 25 marathons up to the point that he wrote this in 2006. He runs about six days a week, six miles per day, um, doing this wherever he might be. And the book had a few big impacts on me. One, as I said earlier, I have written myself at times, specifically the newsletter that I had a couple years ago. Um, so it's, it's good to hear how someone who is an actual writer perceives their craft and their job and, and, and what they're doing when they write. And it's also just been insightful to see how he talks about running because I myself am a big runner. I've had a few times in the past when I have said in this month, I'm going to run a hundred miles, which takes a lot of effort, takes a lot of, of concentration. And it's a weird feeling for those of you who are, who are runners, you probably can agree figuring out what is the most valuable, I guess, outcome of running long distance. You know, during that time, it's hard to, to be too productive. It's hard to nail down any, any single task or, you know, work on, I can't, I can't work through an entire podcast while I'm running. I think about small things and, um, most of all, just sort of enjoy the, the process, the alone time, the exercise, there's definitely physical side effects, the endorphins that you get at the end of it. Um, but I think it's just that, that solitude and that repetitiveness that can feel very calming and mentally it's just, it just feels so healthy. I wanted to point out one quote that was especially impactful, I think, or powerful. And this is toward the end of the book. He's talking about moving over to triathlons and that he had never been a big swimmer. So he decided at some point after a disastrous time swimming in a, in a specific triathlon to get a coach. And that in getting a coach, 
there's a certain practice rem regimen that targets specific uh, parts of swimming. And rather than trying to rotate your body while learning how to breathe well and, and make the right strokes, that his teacher had him keep his body totally flat, which slows you down and creates some drag, but to really focus on the other parts and isolate um, the turning at a later date. And he likens this to practicing drumming, that you can practice the bass drum one day and you practice it over and over. And then you spend a few days working just on the cymbals and then another day just on the, the top hat. And then this can get so monotonous and boring. But then he says, monotonous and boring are for sure. But once it all falls together, you get a solid rhythm. In order to get there, you have to stubbornly, rigorously, and very patiently tighten all the screws of each individual part. This takes time, of course, but sometimes taking time is actually a shortcut. And for me, this is rings so true. I, I find myself popping between a million tasks all the time and trying to be as efficient and as effective in them as, as I can. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that it's sort of this, this way about doing things that if you, can, if you can manage to do it just one time, if you can manage to just learn how to do that bass drum over the course of five days, then it's going to be with you for a long time and in a solid foundation as you're adding all different parts of the drumming. So that's, uh, that's what I talk about when I talk about running by Haruki Murakami. I would give it five stars on my Goodreads. If you want, you can follow me on Goodreads. And it's just a phenomenal book. It's gotten me back into running. I found over the last three weeks since I started this book, I've been running like crazy and I feel a lot better. And I, um, you know, it's gotten me to finally record and put out these podcasts. So take that for what it is. Well, anyways, that's the end of this first episode, this story about the most important decision in my life and a little bit about this book that I just finished. I appreciate you taking the time to listen and I hope that this was um, useful and informative and something you enjoyed. Please give me some feedback if you have it. Subscribe to the podcast so that you get updates on future episodes. The next episode will be an interview of mine uh, that I did over a year ago now, but what I think was an extremely interesting story about a friend who moved overseas and I'll probably be popping back and forth between these personal stories and, and interviews that I do, depending on um, the, the number of interviews and number of people I can make sure I get scheduled and make sure I, I get the interviews done. But thank you for listening to Settle the Far, and I will talk to you next time. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Settle to Far. If you want to give feedback or subscribe to updates through email, head over to podcast.coreygarvey.com. All music is by Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates. Stay tuned and I will talk to you soon.